Hi, this is Natalie Forrest, and I can't believe how much fun I just had with Ryan. We talked about so many things, but we really broke it down in a fun and simple way to, as a speaker, you need to follow your purpose, develop your passion, and it leads you to the potential that makes you shine and impact as many people as you desire. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast, brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Hello, everybody. This is Ryan, and I am back today with Natalie Forrest. Natalie, how are you doing today? I'm great, and I'm just happy to be on here with you. I love your energy. Well, thank you. Uh, I attribute my freckles, but, you know, so I can't really take credit for them. I was told a long time ago they were angel kisses, and I'm pretty sure that they're charged with some sort of energy, maybe by the sun. (laughs) Oh, probably. I I agree with that. Yes. Yeah, I guess I'm a, you know what, if you think about it, gingers, I believe that now I'm going to say we're solar powered, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're fueled by the sun, but that's the same thing that ends up taking us down. So we got to protect ourselves with enough sunscreen for uh, multiple people. <laughs> well, I think that's why we talk about sunspots sometimes, right? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> so let's learn more about you. You know, where did you spend your time in the sun as a youth and how did it get you to where you are today? For those of you who don't know Natalie, guess what? You're going to get to know her. She's got all kinds of accolades and awards, but instead of just listing them off, I'd rather us all get to know her from where it all began. So Take us, take us back, Natalie. Where did it all start? Oh, where did it all start? <laughs> I don't know. Probably in the womb. Yes. <laughs> um, well, it's. Uh, I never realized that I am actually quite revolutionary in many ways. Quite different. But um, short story: I am originally from Germany, born to an amazing mom, and I have a great brother. And I guess when I came out of the womb, which is why I'm starting there, I sort of immediately knew that I was going to be a teacher. My brother had the benefit of trying to figure out what he wanted to be. And I was sort of like stuck in that lane. And teaching, of course, is more than the classroom. And um, because I was shy and I still am, people might not realize it, but I think a lot of us speakers we're actually not always extroverts. And uh, I call myself an introverted extrovert. <laughs> Therefore, you know, I, I do what I do and I want to mostly teach by doing. I've done that for years at the college. So once I was born in Germany, a few years after that, fast forward, I came to the United States as an exchange student. Uh, I had a scholarship and, you know, started teaching and and learning more about history and all of that. My field is history. And I've always been fascinated by people and why people do what they do. So that led me to studying more about initially spirituality and those sorts of things, because I'm a very spiritual being. I'm very intuitive when I work with my clients and and when when I do talk in front of audiences. And then... I sort of, you know, started moving away from all of that and just did the regular thing. I got married. I thought I was doing the right thing. It turned out not so good. So I got divorced, (laughs) which is not that revolutionary, obviously. And in that marriage, a lot of things happened that I needed to work through. And working through that 
in a sense, healing myself, returning back to myself, reconnecting with myself and realizing that part of what my now ex-husband had done with the way that he acted was actually helping me so much to stand in my own power, which probably sounds kind of weird, but that's just the way I see it. I'm so grateful for the hard times that, that I went through with him because it forced me or it enabled me, it empowered me to move away from that and, and realize who I am and realize I'm in a different country. I have no family in the United States and I'm deciding to leave my husband. You know, I got a bunch of cats and all of that's going on. So that was uh, interesting. And uh, I spent about three months over one summer uh, just really going through everything. And that's where I started creating what I call pattern analysis, or, you know, I, I use the term the hidden power of pattern. So I looked at all my life and I went through this process in order to, number one, heal myself, but also understand what I was doing. On the back of all of that is my history background. There are so many patterns in history. So all of a sudden, everything started to come together. And I was still teaching at that point in time at the college. I had no inclination about being an entrepreneur or being in the limelight. Those things, you know, I'm German. We don't, we don't necessarily do a lot of that. <laughs> but I remember being in a classroom one time and um, I had this epiphany. You know, it's sort of like when you get struck by lightning, I suppose. A student asked me a question I'll never forget. And I, I could not repeat what I had said. And it was that moment of realization where it dawned on me. Yes, I'm teaching history. But I looked at all of these students and, and I was teaching at a community college so I could be of better service. And those students were getting not just history from me, but ways in which they can reconnect to their potential, in which they can do what they want to do and live their lives instead of what everybody else expects of them. So I realized I was doing much more of that. And shortly after that, uh, a friend sort of took me by the side and said, you know, you're done in the classroom, <laughs> which I didn't like because it's very comfortable in the classroom. You know, you can control it. Right, right. And so at that point, I realized that my mission had just gotten much, much bigger. And that's when I started my business. And like we all do, we go through phases, you know, this business, a little bit of rebranding, a little bit of this. And that's really when I realized that I can be of such much more impact when I talk to people. And I always prefer the one-on-one, -on -one, but when I'm on a stage, you know, I connect with the audience. I'm always there before I'm up because I want to I feel the energy. <laughs> I want to see who's there. And so every time I talk, and, and I'm very grateful for my background as a teacher in, on the college level, because it taught me to always have plan B, C, D, and E. And so even though I know what I'm going to talk about, I have my keynote, I always switch it depending on the audience because of my intuitive abilities, I suppose. So it got me to today where I have my own business. I work with individuals. I work with corporations. And it's always around 
what I call the hidden power of patterns. If you want to move forward, you need to heal some of your patterns. You need to figure out what they are, create new ones. It's not always easy because most of them are subconscious and I've gone through it. And even today, sometimes I have that little flag going up, a red flag in the the back of my mind saying, whoa, what are you doing? It's a trigger point. And so now I speak, I help leaders be better leaders. I help teams be better teams. And a number of my individual clients, they of course want to speak. And so I work a little bit with them on that. I'm I'm not officially a, a speaker trainer, but we can talk about that later. The other things that I do right now is uh, I'm still a teacher at heart. So I often get into trouble with the people that I work with because I give a lot for free and they think I should maybe, you know, be able to pay bills as well on this on the other side of of the end of the month. And then I'm also I volunteer a lot. I uh, I'm the, the executive director for the Women of Global Change, which when I was asked about whatever in the summer of 2015 when my my then mentor and, and friend asked me and said, "Hey, you know, I need to make some changes. So I want to redirect the Women of Global Change a little bit. Would you come on board as executive director? First of all, I was stunned. And my first instinct was flight, get away from here. <laughs> and my second, oh yeah, my second instinct was, okay, I guess I can do this. <laughs> and so after I looked at flight as my main option, I realized that this was the perfect path for me to lead, learn more, and really be of impact in a different way. I'd been a member of the Women of Global Change. I'd seen what they do. And so now I'm in this position where I have my own business and I volunteer a lot of time, but I volunteer for the Women of Global Change as we're growing across the globe with chapters popping up. And what I love about the work that I do is that I cannot help myself, but I always want to let everybody allow to live their lives their way. So the service that is part of everything that the Women of Global Change does is so dear to my heart that very often I find myself answering Women of Global Change before trying to figure new things out for my business. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's fascinating because it comes together, both of those really directly collaborate and directly fit together like puzzle pieces. I, I see life as a puzzle. So for me, all the puzzle pieces are coming together. And uh, right now I've also begun or I'm in the final stages of creating my own nonprofit. And to no surprise, it's focused initially on education and then on empowerment because I know what patterns exist and I'm very excited. It's, it's truly, we're finishing up the articles for that. And I'm very excited because there is a need for true education. And I don't mean the academic education, but the education that happens the traditional way, the the philosophical way in, in which we learn by observing, by doing by growing instead of just answering quiz questions. <laughs> right, so yeah. I think that's where I am now. So from the womb until today. Brilliant. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I, I love the teaching aspect. Both my parents were teachers that became administrators and principals and then professors teaching mm-hmm. teachers to be teachers. And my sister's a teacher, my teacher at UCI. And I think that a core part of teaching 
is your ability to communicate what might be a boring history lesson into something that's engaging and exciting. And, you know, there's a, a real tie between a teacher's ability to impact and a teacher's ability to present the info. Do you think that the presentation element of your natural desire to teach is a big reason of why you've been so effective in being a teacher? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's it's funny because when, when students used to come to my classroom, they always anticipated, you know, dates, names, and so forth. But that's not what it's about. History is about people. And so since I connect with people, that's really my drive when I teach. And there are very good teachers, teachers who are better than I am, it's interesting that, that you mentioned what, what your family did, because I did the same thing. I created a Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. I was mentoring teachers. I was teaching teachers. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to the classroom before I started the business, because in academia, I couldn't, I couldn't reach as many people, I felt. Mm. You know? But I think you really need to want to be a teacher and have that internal drive to be able to present and interact, engage with either the students or, you know, at an academic conference or whatever, you need to have that ability connected. And, and I think, and unfortunately, not everybody has that. And it's not something that everybody can just learn. Hmm, okay. So what are some of the, the elements to presentation, the elements to speaking, the elements that you think are transferable or learnable? Because I, I do agree there's some sort of uh, innate instinct to be able to maybe be be a more natural communicator. But for those people that maybe don't have that instinct or gene, what are some of the best ways that they can either get caught up or develop their skill set outside of that? That is a good question. And I could, I could give you a laundry list. <laughs> but um, I think the first thing is that whoever wants to speak needs to know that they are the expert. And truly believe in their own potential in getting the message across and doing it in a way that is natural to them. Mm. So what I mean by that is, you know, we, we have a lot of people who tell you, you need to do this in the opening, that in the middle, that there. And that means you have a lot of people presenting the same talk over and over again, but to different audiences. So if you know you're an expert, if you know that you can reach and that your message is really, really important, then you really just have to be yourself. And some people find that by going through a speaker training. Maybe they're normally very shy or they're better with writing words instead of speaking them. So for those people, I think it's really important to go through some kind of speaker training to understand how you get the voice across, how you can uh, use intonation the right way. Those are the mechanics. What I believe people then in the next step might want to look at is really allowing themselves just to be to really connect with the audience, with, with the participants. I prefer to call people in an audience participants because I always engage them. Mm. And I think we need that feedback. If we're just up there standing, then sometimes it feels like we're not reaching them. So I always suggest throwing some interactive things in there, even if it's just something simple like, how you're doing today, and you don't want to do that all the time, obviously, but asking a question and then being okay with the silence. 
So if you're asking a question, yeah, don't you agree? Then you need to be in your own power and your own potential and wait a little bit. And those are things that you can absolutely practice. So even though you may not have that drive as a teacher where you know that you have to have all the different variables, but once you really know who you are and what your message is and you stand in that, then it's just a matter of putting the mechanics together with your heart and delivering the message from the heart. I think that's a great way to look at it. The fact that, you know, to go to a speaker training to basically unlock your own potential. And you're saying that there are these tactical components, things that you can learn, but part of that first discovery process is actually just learning to be yourself or be comfortable with where you're at. I think that's, that's an interesting distinguishing tactic as opposed to just learning to be a better speaker. You're saying tap into who you are and really refine your communication to what fits you, your personality, essentially, right? Absolutely. I mean, I have a good friend um, who I was just talking to yesterday, and he asked me for some input. And I'm trying to give him input, knowing in the back of my head how I would be doing it, right? I mean, I'd be like all over the stage. (laughs) And I know he's, he's animated, but not quite like that. And so I had to give him some just some pointers for words, words that came very natural to him that to me sounded analytical and and he speaks from the heart normally. So yes, you do need to connect with yourself. And I know a lot, there are a lot of speaker coaches out there and, and not necessarily what I do. I have a very good friend and a number of those. And, and for me, it's much more that you are delivering your message authentically not in a canned way. Right. So one of the things I know that your expertise is in helping people, individuals or teams, businesses, corporations to be more productive. And I'm curious to dig into some productivity hacks that speakers could use to improve their speaking or the preparation time or the research. What patterns do you see within speakers that could be improved or could be modified so that they can feel like they're more productive? That is a tough question. And it, it's it's one that I'm still working on a, as well every day. I think the first thing is once you know your message, and of course with that, the audience, stick to it, but, which means I just negated everything I said, <laughs> but also be open to other arenas. So as an example, I talk about leadership, but I don't just talk about leadership with corporations or other coaches or with the women of global change. I can talk leadership on a different level when I talk to educational institutions and maybe even students. So I think being open to reaching out sometimes to other audiences that may initially don't seem to be your arena because you never know what's going to happen there. Mm. Still, of course, keeping your main message. So it's still about leadership. In my instance, it's collaborative individualism, but I can deliver that to a broad range of audiences. And there are so many people looking for speakers that if you just are able to tweak your general message a little bit, that can really open doors to unforeseen possibilities. Hmm. 
And then those unforeseen possibilities essentially helps you take that message that you're sharing and make it more productive because the same amount of utility that goes into the development of your leadership focus, you're then able to multiply that effort in different, I guess, uh, different markets, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, thank you for for bringing that back up because I don't think I've really addressed the productivity part, but by being able to reach out to more groups, more associations, more environments, you're able to spread your message more. And if you do that in an organized way, for example, I always prefer to have somebody reach out for me. And what I mean by that, Mm. I can look at, you know, for example, speaker match or speaker hub. I mean, there are lots of uh, organizations out there who already bring together some of the speaking engagements. I can look through that, but if I have an intern, which is a great way to go, an intern or an admin assistant scout through that for me and they know what I'm looking for, then we can look at it and then I still do it, which may not be very productive for some people, but I still put my hands on directly, what am I submitting? I think the scouting though, whether it's, you know, through Google or through an organization or an online app that collects speaker opportunities, I think having somebody scout that for you and making the first contact, you know, calling up a school, calling up an association saying, hey, who would we write this to? Who would we send this to? If you have somebody do that for you, it it takes out some of the additional work and you can really focus on then writing your proposal or you're doing your video for them in a much more sincere way. And I think that that sincerity ties back to the authenticity, which ties back to being a speaker who has your own person, which you have control over that process, but you're not being bogged down by the process. So this idea of using other people around you for the scouting, and I've heard a lot of people talk about you know, searching for speaking opportunities. But this word scouting, I think is a, is interesting because it plays into my mind, almost like somebody's in a, in a forest or they're sort of um, (laughs) out in front of the gang hunting and like trying to get the binoculars to see what the threat is or what the opportunities are running back to you. And you're on your horse. You're like, okay, I will now go check this out. And then you invest your time into it, right? I never thought about it that way. And of course you had to bring up the forest and the horse, but I suppose, yeah. (laughs) I also think, you know, for me, it's almost something that I think in academia we learn. On the one hand, we want to read in a book every word. But in academia, when you're a student, you have to just pick up on some words, right? You cannot read in in one week, three books and really get all the details. So that skimming or that scouting for the important words, that I think is is really, yeah, that's, and then come back to me and tell me, okay, I think this, this, and this can help you. Yes, absolutely. I love that. It almost sounds a little 80-20-ish Pareto principle to where you're really investing Mm -hmm. the high energy into those things that have higher impact and then the 80 percent of stuff which isn't super high impact but still needs to get done you can outsource to other people absolutely absolutely i think that's the only way to go if we want to be impactful totally now i i put out a call for questions to ask people all the time through twitter and social media and one thing that pops up is 
how can I manage my stress as a speaker? And I know reading through your profiles and whatnot, you talk about how with better teamwork and more productivity, the teams become less stressed. So I'm curious if you have you know tips for speakers who are stressed or have anxiety, because I, I admit that we all do. I think somebody who says they don't get nervous before they speak is a liar, right? <laughs> or denial is like the way they deal with it, which is totally cool. Yeah. Uh, personally, I like to process that energy, but what are some tips that you have for speakers to be less stressed or to find and recognize patterns of why they're stressed? Oh, I wish that was an easy answer. I think really, this brings me back to some of the presentations that I do at First Responders on stress management. Okay. Okay. So first of all, there are the things that I call it A plus B equals C. So first of all, there are the things that you can control, and that is you. And that is the most important aspect to focus on. Secondly, which is B, you have all the things that you can't control. And those things you need to learn to let go. And all of that, of course, equals C, which is the consequence. So this means B, stuff you cannot control. You walk into a hall where you're supposed to talk and the lights don't work the right way. There are not as many people there as you thought. Uh, The person didn't tell you that you would not have the headset microphone, uh, they thought you had a lapel, all those little things. Those are the things we can't control. And I think that's where it helped me that I've been a teacher before, <laughs> where hardly anything works. But if you know, whatever I go into, there are all these things that are out of my hand. People might walk in and out of your presentation of the most important talk that they could ever hear to make a phone call. Right. So, Once we learn how to let go of that, that brings us to A, which is you're in control of you. And all that really means is, number one, how do you prepare yourself for a big talk, a small talk? What are your expectations and have you made those clear to yourself? Very often, it seems to me that speakers get nervous because They want to reach a certain amount of people when they go on the stage. Maybe they want to sell something while they're on the stage or after. They have all these things going on in their heads that actually prevents them almost from being focused on the message. Mm, So they're working against themselves by having expectations that they're setting. Mm -hmm. And if you are resetting those expectations, you can control elements of that. But if you have expectations about the technology that's going to be there or the audience size, those are expectations that you're kind of setting yourself up for failure because you don't have control over them. Right. And, you know, the, the nutshell version really is what I said earlier. You have to know you're the expert and that everybody who's in the room is there for a reason. So all you have to do is go out there present your message the best way you can and knowing it's the best way you can plus every day is different but if you present it the best way you can you're trying to connect with the audience you're doing it from the heart then everything happens the way it needs to you might not get a client out of it right now okay maybe later there may only be 20 people in the room but How many people did you reach? And what I've learned is that if I reach one person 
in a room full of 20, 40, 200, 1,000, if I reach one person, and this always calms me down personally, right, right. that one person is going to have a better life or is saved or, or can change their lives. How many people in the world can say that they helped one person be happy? Yeah, so it's really a, it's a quality over quantity and, and managing yeah. that expectation. I mean, if you are really focused on, my mom always used to say, like, it only takes one person, Ryan, right? Mm -hmm. That's the true, as long as there's one person in the seat in front of you, it's worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And I think that as a tactic of lowering your stress, setting not only achievable goals, but goals that are, that mean something that you can actually take away from. It's not just a checkbox, but as a checkbox with an emotional component that you actually are impacting someone which helps to sort of justify the angst in the first place. Absolutely. And and I think that's such a huge piece of, of speaking. And it goes back to the very simple question of why do you speak? Mm. Are you speaking to impact lives? Are you speaking to be in the limelight? Are you speaking to make money? Yeah. And if you're speaking to change lives, then you will even take a speaking engagement that you might not get paid for, but you can later on, you know, reach out to people via the email or you know you're going to make a difference. There are so many variables. I always talk with my clients about what is your idea of success? And a lot of people, of course, say, you know, I want to make a million dollars and two million. And yeah, that's fine. That's great. But then what? <laughs> so defining success for me is much more about the impact I'm having and People nowadays call it legacy. So I want to be able for my six-year-old daughter to look at me and be happy and proud that I'm her mother. That's all that matters to me. And if I do that by speaking in, in front of thousands of people, great. If I do that by taking her out bike riding, then that's it. But I'm making an impact. And of course, as a mom, you know, I'm making an even greater impact every day. But really sitting down and figuring out why are you doing that? I call it purpose, passion, and then, of course, potential. So what is your purpose? How does your purpose translate into your, your passion? And are you passionate when you're delivering your message? If you're not passionate, then why are you doing it? Maybe you just need to switch it or maybe... You're better in the background somewhere, but you have to understand your purpose and then you become passionate and then you connect with your potential and it's just, it just opens up the universe for what you consider success. I love that. You've got your purpose, which leads to your passion, which taps into your potential and it goes from there. So let's, let's transition from mm -hmm. these amazing insights on how to lower your stress as a speaker, be more productive as a speaker and you know, find that authentic voice to put out there in the world for those people that do want to, whether it's make a million dollars or whether it's make an impact, the process of monetizing a message is a part of that, right? Because if you're able to get paid to travel and speak, you can reach a larger audience that's further, mm -hmm. whether or not you're getting a $500 or a $20,000 honorarium, there's still some of those core concepts of getting paid in the first place or finding your rhythm and what to say and what to ask. So with your clients or just from your own experience, what are some of the ways that you found most effective 
to start that process of monetizing the message and grow your ability to increase that fee, increase the size of the events, the prestige of the events. For somebody whose goal is to monetize your message, what are some of the things you'd step them through? Well, first of all, and this is like way at the beginning, you need to obviously create your brand and you need to be your brand. Once you have the brand, I recommend for most people, not for all, but for most people to indeed do what most people will tell you, which is write a book. I will also, however, tell you that if you don't like to write, then maybe don't write a book. But you want to somehow become known as the expert. One thing that I have learned that works really, really well once the brand and everything is in place, and I've learned that from my mentor, so kudos to her, that press releases do a whole lot. Hmm. Press releases don't necessarily work that well if they follow the same scheme. So you need to bring something new to it. But press releases can do a lot because they introduce you to different audiences. If you write them well and you write them from a perspective of what am I providing and who's benefiting from this instead of Dr. Natalie Forrest has a new book out, go buy it. Right. People are are tired of that. So let people get to know you by the work that you do. And the best way to do that is, number one, a book. Number two, obviously, a press release. And then interviews, like the one you're doing with me. Hmm. Be on interviews. Um, I always tell my, my clients that when I first talk with them, I said, what kind of interviews have you done? What magazines have you been mentioned in? Even if it's just teeny tiny. And I ask them to write it all down so we can put it on their website. Because people want to see this. Even if it's just a five-minute segment, you've been on the radio. You can utilize that in a variety of ways. The next thing I usually recommend, and again, it depends on how comfortable you are with certain mediums, but I recommend using YouTube or Vimeo, doing occasional videos. They, They don't have to be 20 minutes or whatever long because people don't pay that much attention anymore. But short segments on whatever your topic is and put them out there for free. Put them on all your social media so that people get to understand a little bit of who you are. And the next thing that I think is really important, don't make it all about you. You are the expert and you want to help others. Even if you're delivering a message because you're getting a lot of money, you're still trying to help somebody. So make it about the others instead of I'm the biggest speaker on the block. There might be somebody else who has a little bit of a different twist on it who can actually be very insightful as well. So I think it's really crucial that even though we're the experts, we're also open enough to hearing that we might not always be the best fit for a certain speaking engagement. Right, that uh, the me-me disease, where it's all about you, 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 me, 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 mm-hmm. versus this audience-centric. And you know, there's been a couple guests who have talked about how there's a value in catering your branding message, not as much to the audience in which you usually speak, but more so to the event organizers that have the audience in which you want to speak. So I'm curious about your thoughts on that. From a branding perspective, are you helping advise people to create a brand that speaks to the audiences you want to be in front of? 
or to the organizers who have the audiences, I think that's kind of an interesting differentiation. And I'm sure there's a combination between the two, but what are your thoughts on that? I would say because, you know, I'm a revolutionary. So I say create the brand that is you 150, 200% first and the message that goes with it. Okay. Then I'm going to use the term tweak then tweak it so that people pay attention, which is where press releases come in, where where radio programs come in. So you have your brand, which is steadfast, and you're telling people, this is my message, the hidden power of patterns, whatever, collaborative individualism, better teamwork. An event organizer, just by hearing that, still doesn't know exactly what you're talking about. So that's when you connect with the event organizer and say, okay, This is what I'm delivering, and I need to get some details from you to make it 200% fitting for your people. And that's really usually a connection, in my experience, with the event organizer where they're saying, okay, so you're not going to deliver just something. You're actually going to use examples from our company or our association in there. I think that's what I call tweaking, and that's how you really connect with the event organizers. Hmm. So you've got your brand that's focused independently on your message and what you can share with the world. But when approaching a conference or a school or an event, you're basically saying you hopefully have a strong enough brand to get their attention, but then based on information from who you're trying to uh, speak with or have them engage you, you're finding the pain points that they have or the deliverables or outcomes that they want to see from that audience. And then you tweak it to create a messaging where they see that direct connection. Absolutely. And I think that's that's really crucial. Just like you follow up with event organizers, whether they, they picked you or they didn't pick you, you know, follow up with the event organizer. Say, hey, you know, I'm glad you found a great speaker for your event. I wish you all the best luck. Maybe in the future we can work together. It's much more about you being steadfast and knowing who you are and then conversing with the event organizers, with whoever else may be in charge, because sometimes it's really the managers upstairs saying, I want this, this or that. And you tell them, this is my presentation on leadership. These are the five takeaways. And in addition to that, I want to make it tangible. This means you must have read what the organizer actually wants. And in order to make it more tangible, I would need information on ABC from you because these are some of the topics that I have seen in your description. Mm. And what really catches my ear on that concept is the follow-up regardless of whether you get the gig or not. And I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people probably miss that step, but this idea of being steadfast or you're steadfast with your brand and with your positioning, I can imagine that a lot of event organizers would respect that, would make you stand out more and really increase the chances of them considering you for the following year. I think that's a, a small, simple step that maybe people aren't doing. Yeah, and I think often it is because maybe you put your effort into it and, and you're really disappointed. And again, you know, that, that way we, we create a little bit of stress. But understand that that event organizer may have looked at 20, 30, 40 different ones that one person may not have made the ultimate decision. And they decided on somebody who looks really great, probably is really great, and is going to deliver exactly what that organization needs at that point in time. Your turn is going to come to deliver your message 
the way it needs to be delivered to the audience it needs to get to as well. So just don't doubt that. Yeah. And I think that the element of lower amounts of doubt comes within the preparation beforehand of solidifying where your brand is, because it sounds like you're suggesting a path saying, this is what I have, take it or leave it based on here's what I can deliver based on what you need. But as soon as you start to sort of squabble or they say, that's not what we're looking for. And then you flip over and be like, well, I could do it for here, or maybe I could do it for less, or maybe I could change it. That to me sounds like um, sort of the wrong way to go about it. Maybe even makes you look desperate versus this, nope, here's what it is. I believe I can deliver the value with it. If you don't want it, totally cool. Good luck. Great. Let's, let's be in touch and maybe see you next year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, and that means you're, you're authentic. You're not trying to wiggle around. I mean, I often say, you know, this is what I deliver. And for your audience, I would probably add key points of this part to it. So I will tell them, yes, I'm flexible, but I'm flexible within the, let's say, three or four keynotes that I have to put it together and it makes sense for them. Yeah, like a flexible Frisbee. You can tweak it, (laughs) bend it, but at the end of the day, it goes back to its original shape so that you can take flight the way you want to take flight in the direction you want to go, depending on how hard you want to get thrown. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes me think of uh, getting a whole bunch of Frisbees and using that as swag and up on stage being like, here's my card. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, this is all great information. You know, everything from just reinforcing people that it's not as much about the actual skills to be learned. It's about first learning what you are as a person and the type of message that you want to deliver. And then building a brand around that first and catering it towards audiences who you can actually help. But understanding that, A, there are things you control. B, there are things you don't have control over. And C, the outcome is a combination of both those. So if you focus on the A part and manage your expectations so that even a smaller crowd, you still know that afterwards you get one person that's affected by what you say. And the whole thing is worth it. And you're out cloud nine and you're moving on to the next. I love it. I think it's a pretty simple approach to everything. (laughs) Right. But do you think people try to overcomplicate things? Yes. Okay. So I agree with that. And I think so many people are looking for hacks, looking for this, looking for information that's like not there already because the stuff that's there is obvious. And it's like, do this. But how often do people skip over those basics before realizing they have to go back and get them? Well, it's the same thing. You know, everybody or a lot of people ask, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? It's not that difficult. (laughs) The universe doesn't make our purpose very difficult. The main purpose that we all have is to be ourselves. It's pretty simple. (laughs) And now you take being yourself into another realm. There's just been so much other social conditioning going on that most people don't know who they are and therefore unfortunately they don't know their purpose and then even speakers or teachers or i don't know auto mechanics they're they're doing what they're doing and they're not even sure why they're doing it right and then everybody just ends up looking and sounding the same and it creates less differentiation and then those 50 60 speaker applications all look the same and people are guessing why they don't stand out it's because they're not taking maybe that unique path well for everybody out there Right. Who, if you're lost in the forest of speakers <laughs> and feel like you're just one other tree, listen to what Natalie Forrest has to say as she's on her horse with her scouts out in front, 
doing the legwork <laughs> so that she can deliver her true self on the stage that delivers what she wants for her purpose, which is identifying patterns, helping people be more productive, be less stressful. And one thing I, I heard you say on one of your videos was leading your life your way. And that really, I think, sums up what you're helping people do. So speakers can lead their life or speak their life in their way, because that's it's really up to them. Yes, absolutely. I could not agree more. That was a great summary. <laughs> All right. Well, we are now at the end of our show, but this is just the beginning. So if you liked what you heard today, reach out to Natalie. Natalie, where do they find you? Where's the best way to get you online? Probably my website or any kind of social media. It's very simple because it's all my name. It's always Natalie Forrest. Excellent. And that makes it easy for everyone. And definitely hit both Natalie and I up on Twitter if you liked one of these comments or you want to continue or share with us in a tweet the way that you tweak what you do so that you can speak more. <laughs> wow. Right. Yes. Yeah. Let's tweet, tweet. <laughs> let's, let's tweet about, uh, wait, let's tweet, <laughs> let's tweet about your tweak to help you speak. Yeah. I think there's a good tweet in there. That was great. <laughs> Hashtag tweak. Not to be confused with twerk or tweet, but tweak. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, this is a lot of fun. And I'll definitely look forward to seeing you more online. And maybe we'll share the stage sometime together. And I'm going to go gobble up all of your videos and do some more research. And, and uh, it all starts with finding your purpose, which leads to your passion, which is the potential that you all have. So um, fun stuff, Natalie. We'll see you in the forest. Everybody else, listen to past episodes. Listen to future episodes here on The World of Speakers. I'm having fun. I hope you are too. Natalie, we're going to shut the show down as soon as you say goodbye. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> All right. We'll see you, everybody. everybody.